This is Indie Business Podcast, Season 3, Episode 2, Makers on Main Street. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Indie Business Podcast. I am your host, mentor, and coach, Donna Maria, the founder and CEO at IndieBusinessNetwork.com. My goal is to help makers and handmade entrepreneurs build a solid business foundation, increase your income, and use your business to create the life you love. On this episode, I will introduce you to Keith Emmons and Robert Ungemach of Opportunity Market in Dallas, Texas. Keith and Robert are partners in business and in life, with each serving in different leadership roles at their company. They first joined the Indie Business Network in 2007 as the Shambhala Body Gallery, and as you'll hear, they have changed their brand name a few times over the last several years, and now Opportunity Market is set to open in just a few weeks. Keith's and Robert's passion for makers shines through like a brilliant diamond in this episode. Not only will you understand where their passion comes from, but you'll also get some priceless tips to help you pitch your products to retail stores. If you're thinking about opening a retail store, you'll get some great insights and ideas in that regard as well. There is so much more packed into this episode of the Indie Business Podcast. I hope you'll love it. You can get a summary for this episode at IndieBusinessNetwork.com forward slash 26. I'll be right back with Keith Emmons and Robert Ungemach of Opportunity Market in Dallas, Texas. I am here today with Keith Emmons and Robert Ungemach of Opportunity Market in Dallas, Texas. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, Donna. So excited to have you guys here. Now, let's just tell everyone how far we go back. Again, I'm, I, I love these interviews because I have so many friends that I've never met. <laughs> Keith, I'd love to, you know, just take us back a little bit to the start of your business and the this long winding partnership that you have with Robert. We started out, we were both in corporate America, and uh, it was one of those, we were just fed up and couldn't deal with it. I think probably me at the time more than Robert, I was in the mortgage industry and uh, dealing with all that loan stuff. Um, so we got an, op- an opportunity, actually. Uh, we were decorating the house one year for Christmas, and we decided that we were going to make handmade soaps as gifts. And I was decorating the house, and Robert was in making soaps, and he looks up and says, you know, we could turn this into a small business. And that's where it started. And by the time that I was finished decorating the house, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to look like, and it just kind of began to come together. Where it is now was very different than where we started, but that's how we started out. We then did um, made baskets and sold them at work. We opened a store in Canton, Texas, which is kind of a flea market type area here in Dallas or in Texas, uh, about 90 miles east of here. We ran that for a year. We found, just stumbled upon a potential retail store called just out of curiosity and went, let's run with that. We had a chance to move around the corner to a better location. We jumped with that and now we're remodeling and rebranding. You are the first, one of the first of our members that ever just started opening a bunch of retail stores. I mean, because I've known you for such a long time. And uh, the the first iteration of your business 
was one of the first, you know, maker and handmade retail stores I ever encountered. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, actually, I think that's quite true. And, you know, I think what was one of the notes that we made earlier is that you can't be afraid to fail. Um, that's been very important to us. When we, we jumped into the business, I think we started with a budget of about $500. Something like that, yeah. When we got started at, out in Canton. And um, when we looked at each other, and that was kind of our litmus test. You know, if we can make it through this, it's a monthly, you know, once a month over a long weekend. If we can make it through this, we probably got the chops for retail. Um, we still didn't fully understand all the things that would be required later on as we grew, our, grew into the regular uh, brick and mortar. But um, I think that was one of the key points that we decided, you know, we looked at each other, we talked it through, we talked about what the, what's the worst thing that could happen. And I have to say that we're, we're, we're lucky, we don't have, we have just the two of us, we don't have families that we support and other things. So from our perspective, the worst thing that could happen to us is it doesn't work. If we have to file bankruptcy to get out of it, that's okay, we'll survive that. And I think that that, not afraid to fail, mentality has truly helped us throughout the business and allowed us to grow. So did the two of you, I mean, how much do you love what you do? Because I mean, well, we always hear, you know, if you know, if you love what you do, and you have all this passion, all the money will come. And, you know, we can kind of snicker a little bit at that. But but you guys <laughs> re really seem to have this amazing love, you know, and, and positive relationship, not only with each other, but also just for what you do. I mean, I see these pictures on your Facebook page, and you're sanding floors and, you know, climbing up ladders. And I'm like, my goodness, this is such an amazing thing that's happening. But how much does that passion feed the success of your business? How would you describe that, Keith? I think that it, uh, it does. And I'm going to try to get through without getting a little teary. Um, because when it comes down to talking about the passion of what you do, um, it's emotional. Yeah, take it and run with it, and then I'll <laughs> kind of get myself together and talk about Simon. Yeah, yeah. So, so passion is is the other key. Um, we found something that we love to do, and we didn't. Even more today, it, it's been a building of F, It's it's been building over the years. Um, started out with making what we do. Uh, we also we talked about the, one of the key ingredients in the soap was love. I mean, we loved doing what we did. I love making products. I love making soap and Bath and Body and everything. And I'll, I'll have to admit that you know, as you grow and demands grow, and you start going from maybe thirty, forty, fifty bars a month to three, four, five hundred bars a month or, or more, in a thousand, and yeah. you know, bottling lotion on a large scale and everything. It can be it can be tedious, but it's also for me it was almost a meditation in doing those kind of things, paying attention mm -hmm. and focusing to what I was doing to be accurate. But also that you know, I think that that passed along into our products. And as we grew, uh, we knew that it was a challenge for us in the market that we have to just deal just have our, our products in the store and we started reaching out to local artists and brought in some jewelry makers and things like that that's worked for, for that time and then as we grew gifts became such a huge part of our business that um, we started reaching out and we discovered fair trade about what seven years ago when we started six, and six not ago. knowing anything about how to go to market and buy gifts and what is minimum quantities and all this other kind of stuff. Unfortunately, we had a very good friend who kind of guided us through a lot of that. 
Um, but one of the things that we discovered in that was the whole, well, this product gives back, this product gives back, This is these people are working towards trying to accomplish this goal. And we then um, decided, oh, well, we want that on our store. We like this. We want that on our store. And we began to pursue more and more of that. And that's, that's what we, you know, opening up opportunity market. It's U.S. made in fair trade. 95% U.S. made in fair trade. And women and, 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 and women more than business. that. So yeah. a longstanding thing for us in working with local, local craftsmen and artists in addition to our products um, we also saw with you know working here in Dallas market and things like that, new businesses, new startups, the cost of advertising, cost of going to market and things is very can be very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so we started looking for the small businesses that were just getting started and wanted to be able to offer them uh, an opportunity in our store to grow like we had been growing. Um, one that comes to mind is a company out of uh, Brooklyn. <laughs> called uh, Dynamighty. They have a yeah. product that they started up in their apartment called Mighty Wallets. Um, they were made of, of uh, Tyvek, the same thing that the FedEx envelopes are made out of. And they initially came out with a small line, maybe a dozen or two dozen different designs. But they were great because they adapted. It was a man's wallet. It didn't, it didn't um, stretch out like leather wallets do. It was a cool product. It was neat. They were printed. They were a lot of fun. And so over the years, giving them that opportunity in a store, uh, we have a lot of uh, big box retail just across the river from us in downtown Dallas. You know, we have Neiman ne uh, Marcus, Nordstrom's, Macy's, all these other companies that have buyers that actually now shop our store to find the latest cool things that are going on in the, in the industry. And so they got picked up by one of the major big boxes and they continued to grow. So it's, it's the passion for us is believing in what we do and understanding why we do what we do. And I think that those two things really play off of each other. If you understand why you do what you do, you find the passion for what you do. And that leads in that go that, that bleeds into your customer's experience, that bleeds into how you help give back to your community. Um, and also globally. Now we, we help and work with people around the world because we've expanded into fair trade. Um, we have Simon, which is a great person out of Nairobi that makes some beautiful, he makes the recycled glass products, uh, the, the jewelry I think you've seen on the web. Uh, Lovely. Yeah. You know, and I'm so glad you talked a little bit about how the larger companies are now looking to the smaller companies to see what the trends are and to follow their lead. And I, I just mm -hmm. think that is so exciting. Now, you guys opened your retail stores, even the first one, and I know this is like iteration number five, but you <laughs> opened your retail stores, these string of stores during an economy where there were lease signs going up on main streets across America. What would you say to people who now that the economy is a little bit better, it's not where we want it, but it's a little bit better. What do you say to people who want in their Main Street areas, in their towns across America, what do you say to them about how to position yourself to be ready to open a retail store? What are your best tips there, Robert? Sure, absolutely. So I would say the number one, from, and this is based on our experience, um, and one of the reasons why we've opened several times is opening a store really begins about a year before you actually unlock the doors. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to some of the things that have triggered our growth or our changes, the store name, 
the domain, the trademark, all those key, those are key components to your business that should really be done before you try to open a store because as we found, um, reopening, rebranding is expensive, it's difficult for the customers, and uh, you know we've kind of just taken it as it goes and from a learning experience, but that's one key piece that I remember going through your um, various, uh, you've got, you have a section of podcasts <laughs> and you talk about those things. Mm-hmm. And we heard it, we've learned it, and now that's what we're doing. This, yeah. the, the latest iteration of Opportunity Market started uh, easily a year ago. Um, Another key thing is remember it's a constant learning experience. Mm-hmm. Opening that door, you cannot be stagnant. You have to keep learning from the people around you, keep learning from your peers, find a mentor if you can find a mentor. Indie is a great place for those type of people. Mm-hmm. Um, another good one is uh, you have to remember to be a duck sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and let things roll off your back. Um, you will have your critics. You will learn that you can't please everybody. It's just not possible. But go with your gut, go with your passion, mm-hmm. and pay attention to opportunities. Opportunities present themselves all the time, and you have to be able to pay attention to those things and be not afraid to pick one up and follow it. I want to step in here on something that, and in this reiteration of moving from Shambhala slash Keats to opportunity market. Um, and this is something I've really learned probably over the past week. and. And for those who don't know, Shambhala and Keats are the former names, right? And now you're Opportunity yes. Market. Okay, good. Right. Um, you have to start where you are. Yes. There's that you know what you want to be, and but you have to start where you currently are in all aspects of the business. What can you possibly afford? Mm-hmm. Don't let not being where you want to be stop stop you from taking that step. If that's really what you truly want to do, mm-hmm. it can be incredibly rewarding. It can be very frustrating because there's that constant thing of this is where I want to be and we're not there yet. The truth of the matter is no company is ever exactly where they want to be ever. You're constantly <laughs> growing. That's so true. It makes me, I remember when I first started my business, I went to this lady and I said, I need to hire a publicist. And she said, well, I know some. And I said, well, you know, give me their names. I'm, I'm going to get started right now. And she said, well, they don't really have anything to say about you yet. <laughs> went, well, they can talk about what I want to do. She was like, no, honey, it doesn't work that way. So, but again, this is, this is to your point of, okay, dialing back and saying, okay, well, I'll get there later. But right now I just have to start with what I can do that will form the platform for me to get where I want to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, it's scary. It's, it's, it's challenging. I think um, depending on your situation, I think the buy-in of your immediate family and, and Donna, you talked about that in that podcast you had recently, mm-hmm. um, being honest with yourself and being honest with your family, knowing what the impact is going to be, mm-hmm. relationships will change. You have they to, will. yes, yeah, there's, there's family time, there's business time. And a lot of, t- when you're getting off the ground, it's a lot of business time and having a spouse, partner, family, friend that can help you with that is very important. Right. Um, so I would right. say assess where you are. Try to gauge what the impact will be on your family and double it. 
and on yourself. But 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 it's rewarding. It truly is. Yeah. I mean, to, again, don't be afraid to fail, and don't be afraid to win, and don't be afraid to be successful, um, and have a plan C. <laughs> plan C. What what do you guys, Robert? What do you guys look for in a pitch for someone who wants you to carry their products. Let's just say there's some makers out there listening now. They know that your store is going to be opening and, you know, they have an email account and great products. What do you look for? What, what do you weed through and, and focus on? So we have a couple of things that we, we have our starting qualifications and we've developed these over the years. Um, our primary business now is in fair trade. Um, obviously, people that are in North America don't qualify for fair trade. The second thing is: is it a woman-owned business or a minority-owned business? Mm-hmm. These are people. These are these are companies that are underrepresented in the marketplace. So we go out and look for those businesses. If you are one of those businesses, that's a plus, and that's something that you should market. Um, and then U.S.-made products. And we're not trying to be exclusive or ignore things that are of high quality that come from Asia or wherever, but. Um, Again, we have a huge problem with unemployment. We have a lot of independent businesses that are starting up, and we want to give out those opportunities. So those are our first criteria. Well, and you know, I, I love that you well, you just said you didn't want to be exclusive, but really you are. And I think that's beautiful because we all need a niche, right? We can't just sell everything, even as beautiful as some things are. We just can't sell them. So I, I love that you said that you're not exclusive in the sense that you're um, – that you don't embrace and love all sorts of products that are made, but you want to have a certain kind because that's what's, that's what your passion is. And that's what your customers want. Absolutely. And then we take it into a couple other areas. Um, We take a look at the product in, is the product something our customers would buy? Is the product unique enough for us to bring in? And that kind of ties back to some of the other things. And there's a lot of uh, repetition out there. Does the product satisfy a unique part of our business or that our customers would be willing to invest in and that we'll invest in? So those are some huge ones for us that just get the foot in the door. Yeah, and that, and that repetition is tough. Like you said, you you had uh, carried the gentleman's wallets, right? Wallet, Absolutely. Wallets aren't new. There have been wallets around for millions of years, and they're functional. They work. My husband has a leather wallet. It's great. But what you're talking about is taking a product that everybody would like to have or that a lot of people would like to have and creating it in such a way that it stands out, right? So for the makers that are listening – you may just you may make soap. I mean, there's plenty of soap around. So when you're looking for the soap that has a little bit more of a unique stamp to it, that's something that you can't get at every other store on Main Street. Absolutely right. correct. Yeah, you know, and it's 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 it, uh, other things. And let's let's we'll go into a little bit more of the technical pieces that we look for as well. And these are some things that we've learned from our products over time, and pro- and and suppliers that we've worked with, and makers that we've worked with. Um, one of the key things we joke about, um, but we call it customer proofing, <laughs> um, the, a product, and I, I, what, a product needs to look beautiful, obviously when it comes out of the shipping box and we receive it and everything else, but when it goes on display on the store shelf, some products can easily get destroyed by the customers. And that's something yeah. that it, it's, it's, and it's, it's, it's accidental. It's, it's not, it's not on purpose. Right. And so things, and what I mean by that, I shouldn't say destroyed, but things like, um, challenges that we've had, we had some great boxes that we had put together for our candles and they were made from a craft board. They were unfinished. 
a customer would walk over and use, and use our lotion, try out a sample, and they go over and pick up a candle, and the oil residue right. on their fingerprints left fingerprints on the boxes. Right. So those are things. Lids that don't fit right. securely on items. Right. Um, and you know, when you talk about those boxes, they're so pristine when, mm-hmm. the, when the maker sends them out. But honestly, all of us, when we get into a store and something looks picked over, don't we go for the one in the back? Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. And you may not be able to sell that because it's got one fingerprint on it. Absolutely. And those are, those are little, little things that we did not think about when we were making. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't through, until we had the store and started seeing how things were impacted in the store that we had to take a, second, take a second look at some of the things that we were doing and modify them so that um, they would sell better in the long term mm-hmm. for us and, mm-hmm. and for wholesale. I want to go back to something you, a little bit earlier. We were talking about what things we – were, you were talking about soap. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got soap. Mm-hmm. It does not the ingredients and the fragrances and that kind of thing. Those are important, yes. But one of the things that we look for is how is this soap branded? Mm-hmm. If I put this on the shelf in the in my store, is it going to be something that the customer is going to be drawn to because of the way that it looks, or is it going to be something that I'm going to have to steer the customer towards? Mm-hmm. That's a and really that good point. As simple as the way the label looks, the way the soap is sculpted, not sculpted, is it yeah. in boxes, all of that kind of branding thing. Don't ignore that. We did that for years because that's exact. We were, again, back where we were. That's all we could afford to do. Well, and let's we, talk about that for a second, too, because um, today um, so many makers and handmade entrepreneurs have awesome, awesome, incredible products, and they do oh, spend... Yeah a great deal of time as they should on the ingredients and what you know the quality of the product and when you use that product it's going to be a wonderful thing and then the outside of the product gets a little bit short shrift and the logic sometimes is but you know I don't want to spend all this money on packaging because it all gets thrown away anyway and it's not good I for know. the environment but if you flip that if you want people to pick it up and sell it You've got to find a balance between the energy that you put into what's on the inside and and the energy that you put into what's on the outside, because what's on the outside is what the customer is going to see first. Right. You're absolutely right. And we had I had a mentor that was very, very, uh, very dear to me for many years when we first started making. And the best advice she gave me when it comes to packaging is packaging should be half your wholesale cost. Mm. So. So and or your production costs, I should yeah. clarify that. So if you're if it takes you a dollar to produce your bar, your packaging should cost you a dollar. If it takes you three dollars to produce your candle, your packaging should be three dollars. It gives you a number to work with and to budget with and and to work appropriately. The downside of that that we always found is that there's always the challenges in finding suppliers that are willing to work with you on smaller bases as you grow. Mm-hmm. But the leads are out there. There's there there are companies that are that do take on smaller orders. There are ways to leverage you know everything from box printing with small with just a single variable in a box print, whatever it may be. But taking just as much passion mm-hmm. as you put into the product itself. The passion needs to be in the packaging because the packaging is what gets that three seconds of vision from a customer right. that can make or break your product in, in, in sales. Right. And today there are so many more retail stores across America. I mean, 
there are, I mean, I just, I'm astounded. Well, I'm not anymore. But when I first started seeing makers pop up with, and there's pop up stores, and there's temporary stores, and, you know, they'll obviously take a smaller um, amount, because they're only going to be open for a small period of time. So you can find these places that are interested in those products. And this sort of brings us around to the importance of not having a million products in your line, because certainly I would imagine as a retail store owner, you're getting pitches from everywhere. You're going to pick the ones that really look like they have a focus that are easier for you to sell and that also jump off the shelf themselves. Yes. And I would say um, another key point, and this comes down to maybe this is a generational thing, maybe it's not, but we... We do appreciate when somebody is looking to present a product to us for sale, um, taking the time and uh, being courteous of the retailer's time. For time, And that means calling ahead, mm-hmm. making an appointment. Oh, my and- goodness. Did you just say that in unison? Yes. <laughs> make an appointment. Okay, very good. Yes, and it's it, it, because there's so much kind of in a retail store. Quite often, it could be single-threaded. There could be one person working in the store. The owner may or may not be there. So taking the time, do a little bit of investigation, and make an appointment ahead of time and present your products that way. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it goes a long way in the future business relationship. Uh-huh. I, Have you guys ever thought about having, like, um, I can't remember the store. It's either in New York or California, where they had, like, two or three days a year where they would invite people to come, there would be lines around the block for them to come in. All the store owners and the buyers were there at one time to look at all the products, like, like a trade show in their own store. They would close the store down and have just the makers, the manufacturers would be in there to pitch their stuff all day, almost like a casting call. That's actually a brilliant idea. Well, yeah. I didn't make it up. The other people did. However, I think it's a wonderful it's a wonderful way also to establish your store as a destination location for two different customers, the people that want to sell to you and the people that want to buy from you. Absolutely. Um, One of the things that I would say on that, as far as <clears throat> if you are trying to get your product into a store, be picky about where you want that product to go. Do mm-hmm. your research. Don't just walk into a store. Mm-hmm. I've got this great blah, blah, blah. This great item. Blah, blah, blah. Do I, I know. I, we, we do that exactly. Um, well, it's kind of funny because what you're describing is I mean, sometimes we think our stuff is so great that we really can go in and say, I've got this great blah, blah, blah. And you can't, I mean, well, you know, and there was a time maybe in, in America when you could do that when nothing was really handmade. It was all industrialized. So yeah, it's handmade. Bring it in here. That's not the case anymore. It has to be more than blah, blah, blah. Yes. This is an honest story. There was a guy when we first opened uh, um, on, we've been up in maybe two or three months in our first store down in Bishop Arts. The guy walks into the store. He's got a case in his hand walks straight back to the back of the counter, plops the case down, opens it up, and he's trying to sell me knives. Oh, my gosh. Knives? And I'm, going, I'm carrying candles, jewelry, and soap. So <laughs> know the store. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it may have been a great product. It did not fit my store. Right, right. shop stores. Yeah. Look at them online. How active are they on Facebook? Mm-hmm. How active is their social media? How Which is something we're terribly lacking. I mean, but how does that store look? And are they really going to help you sell your product? Mm-hmm. 
And then yeah. there's a couple key things that uh, we don't want to run out of time, but that we wanted to bring up as well. So supplying, supplying on demand, um, that has been a challenge we've had with some previous people that we've worked with. Um, we have, in a single month, sold three to 500 bars of soap. We can sell a lot of jewelry. We can sell a lot of products. And so one of the key questions that we ask is, what is your supply chain like? How long does it take you to fill an order? Can you keep up with demand if we bring your product in? Because it doesn't do either of us any good if we sell out within a week and you can't supply it back for another month. So that's a very important piece. And that's a really um, good point, too. It, it points out the importance of not having a 50 million products in your line. And it also raises the significance of hiring somebody to help you make stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And be prepared. And, uh, and then on the flip side, we have a, a very dear friend of ours who is a, uh, a wholesaler. She's a vendor. Um, she started her business. She went to the Atlanta market. She had her samples out there and wrote $100,000 in orders within that weekend and had Nancy. Oh, Nancy Banks. Yeah. Yes. And she had, to, she had to scramble to fill it all, but she did. Uh, so if you have the resources to ramp up, that's a good thing. I, I always say, I think this is in, a, in one of our Facebook discussions, always have a plan on how to increase your production to the next level and beyond. Um, because as a business grows, you need to know where those resources are, where you're going to get the funding, and how to put it all together because your business can grow. And that's a wonderful thing. And isn't that the goal of business, to absolutely. grow it to begin with? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And Keith, I know that all situations are different, but I'm curious what show that was. That was the Atlanta market. I okay, think. maybe you said that. Yeah, okay, great. So there's a there's a whole other show about trade shows. <laughs> um, <laughs> because certainly... Um, you know, we all do get orders that we have to scramble to fill, and being able to do that is important um, for your yeah. for your growth personally as the leader of your business, but also to showcase what you can do for the stores that are going to be buying your products. How do you guys work together? In the last few minutes, I want to talk about that. You have a partnership. You, you have a personal relationship. You have a business relationship. You have a dog. I heard the dog. You've got <laughs> you you have a lot of things going on. H- how do you? position yourselves to be successful personally and professionally without, uh, I don't know, being at each other's throats, shall we say? No, just kidding. But really, I mean, how do you keep that together and uh, maintain, I don't like the word balance, I'm not going to use it, but maintain a positive integration of those two aspects of your relationship? I think one of the things is... um... For us, it's playing off of each other's strong suits. Mm. Robert is incredibly technically minded. If there's anything, he runs anything having to do with the computers, the phone systems, website. He runs all of that. Okay. And then teaches me the basic knowledge of, okay, now now that I've got this, this is what you need to be able to do to maintain it. Mm-hmm. And then when I run across things of, oh, well, couldn't we do this better? And we hash those things out. Mm-hmm. And it's never a thing of, well, I can't say never. Um, we don't want to get into the whole idea of my idea is right and your idea is wrong. Both ideas are good and probably merge into something that is better and stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, communication, I think, communication. is the key. I yeah. mean, I mean, for example, we have the benefit that our morning routine is about two hours of waking up, drinking coffee, and talking. And invariably, the business, since it's part of the household, is mm-hmm. we have business meetings in the morning and business meetings in the evening. Mm-hmm. They're unofficial, but we talk through so, so much and develop so much mm-hmm. that way. But um, we respect each other a lot. There's nothing that can't be resolved through communication. 
being open and honest with the person that you're working with is probably the foundation of that. Uh, it's it, 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 we we know there's 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 triggers, there's warning signs and stuff. We know when something's not right, but we ask. Right. Um, that's another key thing. I mean, if if I know I know when something's not quite right, and the first question I ask is, "Is it something that I did?" If he says no, I'm like, "Okay, fine. You'll come to me when you're ready." <laughs> but that's but that's really and that, that goes beyond just a business relationship, but it goes to you know our personal relationship mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. The the other side of that is that I mean, there's two things. If the person is so passionate, and going back to the whole passion thing. If Robert's idea is so passionate and he feels so passionately about that, I would have to do that the same way that I would with any employee. If they are so passionate about their idea, you have to step back as a CEO or or president or leader and go, take it and run with it. Mm -hmm. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Big deal. Yeah. I love that you said that because, you know, someone gave me some marriage advice once um, along those lines. It was like, you know, it may be the worst idea ever in your minds, but if your partner is so passionate about it, they're like in tears telling you they really want to do this. You have to let it go. You have to let them do that. And that is that is such good advice for us in personal relationships as well as professional ones. So thank you so much for sharing from your heart there. Now, I would like to ask you to tell us when your opportunity market, and by the way, I just have to say, on your Facebook page, I love, you've got right at the top here, the definition of opportunity is a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. And then market is a place where products are bought and sold. That combination is so powerful. How did you come up with that? And tell us when your store is going to open. The store was supposed to open two weeks ago. (laughs) As everything runs behind. <clears throat> um, the actual story for Opportunity Market. Um, can you handle it? Oh, no. So, I'm sorry, yeah. Keith. No, 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 no. I mean, there's, 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 I love it. I do. And I want, but, I want to pause for a second here and give you a chance to, you know, just breathe for a minute. Because our listeners are with you on this. We understand because everything that we make, every piece of anything that we produce, whether it's a product or information or a graphic for Instagram, whatever it is, our heart and our, our really our mission for our lives goes into that. So we, we get it. We're, we're not talking to the big stores that you're talking about, the people who might have a really good job for five or six years. This is our life. So we understand that. So when I ask this question, Please know that I'm asking it not because it's information, but because I know that it is your life and that what you will share is who you are. And that matters to me. So back to the name. Yeah. And thank you for that. That, that, that is so true. And that, that goes back to the why. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. We come up with the name Keats, which, is, which was a German slang word. And it was actually named by one of our customers, oddly enough. Uh, that means a sense of community. Um, the, we knew that it was going to be a struggle. People couldn't say it. Vendors couldn't say it. Nobody could remember it. They thought that my name was Keats, being Keats. <laughs> yes. That was, and so all of a sudden I realized, oh, we've got a big... So we began to really look and search and blah, blah, blah mm-hmm. again. Um, one day I was sitting down and I was reading a book 
by a man named Nicholas Kristoff. Uh, it's his new book called The Path Appears. He's a blog writer. He's a bloggist for a columnist for New York, New York Times. Times. Yes, yeah. I'm and familiar with about, him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I downloaded the book. I was reading it. Within the first ten pages, there was the quote. Uh, Talent is universal. Opportunity is not. Mm-hmm. And, and this, that's where, I mean, it, would, it immediately hit me in the head. Opportunity market. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what I want to be. Talent is universal. Opportunity is not. Right. And it, it, it just ties into everything that we believe in and everything that, the, the reasons why we do what we do. And uh, to, not a, another plug, <laughs> but Simon Sinek, there's that TED Talk out there. It's phenomenal. His book is phenomenal. Start with why. Mm-hmm. And you find out why you're doing what you're doing, and it leads to everything else. It leads to your brand's personality, developing that. It leads to your logo design. It leads to your product presentation. It leads to your store design, your web design, and how you do business. You can. People don't buy what you make. They buy why you make it, and that is the key of why we've been so successful because we know the stories of every single artist, that product that's right in our, in our store. We know the impact that we've had in Nairobi from a gentleman who was a former arts, a stained, art, artisan, a stained glass artisan in Europe, moved back to Nairobi so he could mentor and teach people and pull them out of poverty. So what they did was they collected broken glass and bottles and everything out of the junkyards and brought it back and built a kiln so they could melt it down and turn it into some of the most beautiful jewelry you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, Through our business and work with him, he's doubled the size and doubled the number of people he can work with and he's helping pull people out of poverty. And again, it goes back to and it ties into the fact that that talent is universal. It's out there. It's opportunity that people need that Mm -hmm. ties into, you can hear that, you can hear it in my voice, I'm sorry, but um, the U.S. made, the small businesses, the minority-owned businesses, the women-owned businesses, those people, they have the talent. They just just need the opportunity, and that's what, that's how the name came about. Um, Beautiful. That piece. As to when we're going to open, our hope is May 1st. May 1st. Um, soft opening as soon as we're ready. Um, we've had a lot of delays because of rain and different things and snowstorms and everything else. Um, so it's taken a little bit longer than we wanted. That ties into the rule of double. We can talk about some other time. <laughs> yeah. It always takes twice as long and twice as much money. The but. rule of double. I like that. Um, that. That's really good to remember when we want to have you again because I, I just can't stop talking to you and I have to. Um, what you have to share is is so potent, and that is a good thing. So I want to encourage everyone to be on the lookout for Opportunity Marketplace. That's the Facebook name, facebook.com forward slash Opportunity Marketplace in right. Dallas. If you'd like to share uh, an address or anything else at this point, you can feel free, but we definitely want to make sure we sh- you share the website and any other social sites that you want people to know about. Absolutely. Um, you can find us. Our new website will be online about the middle of May. Um, that'll be opportunitymarket.com. You can reach us at info at opportunitymarket.com. And we look forward to hearing from anybody. Um, and make an appointment. Make an absolutely. appointment. <laughs> You've got the email address now. Be wise with it. Yes. <laughs> so those are the key things. And thank you, Donna. This has been a wonderful morning for us. 
Well, fabulous. I've certainly enjoyed having both of you and Opportunity Market. I'm just really excited to see it. Thank you so much for the tips that you shared. And I just want to congratulate the two of you on just the wonder that you've created in your life and how now you're in a position to share that with people in other countries and facilitate these opportunities. It's a beautiful thing. So not only am I looking to the opening of your store, I'm looking for your trip to visit some of these makers in these other countries so we can uh, put on an expedition and have a good time somewhere else it's about that one day. Ooh, sign me up already. <laughs> in the meantime, I'll be happy to visit Dallas sometime soon and have a look around. Congratulations to you. And thank you so much for being on the Indie Business Podcast. Thank you, Donna. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Keith Emmons and Robert Ungemach at Opportunity Market in Dallas, Texas. And if you did, won't you show me some love on Twitter? Just go to IndieBusinessNetwork.com forward slash love and let your friends know that you enjoy Indie Business Podcast. I really want to make it useful to you. And if I am, please let me know by sharing. And you know, if I can improve the podcast, let me know that too. There's a contact link at our website at IndieBusinessNetwork.com. And you can also contact us easily by the little button on your mobile phone when you go to our website. That way, it's simple and fast for you to share wherever you are in your busy life. I will see you on the next episode of Indie Business Podcast. In the meantime, break all the rules, build your own corporate ladder, and create the life you love. 